Here we go! Hello and welcome to our first ever episode here of Men's Shoot Around. That's right, we might not have an SBL season in 2020 to talk about, but that doesn't mean we don't have plenty to talk about. So whether it's special guests from the past or the present, whether it's whether it's our, our very special co-host going back through the history of his amazing basketball journey, or talking about what sort of an effect it actually has not having an SBL season this year, or whether it's anything else happening in the basketball world, we certainly won't be sure on topic so let's get stuck straight into it i'm one of the co-hosts chris pike you might recognize the name from i guess the the writing work from the sbl website and and the like over the years um but the man that you are have all tuned in for i'm sure he's a basketball legend in wa that's not put any any sugar coating on it he had a terrific 200 plus game playing career and his coaching legacy at the junior club will speaks for itself the last five grand finals he's coached he's coached his team too he's just a, a remarkable wa basketball personality so let's get straight into it ben etridge is my co-host very honored that you are happy to come along for this ride with me ben how do we find you this evening Oh, thanks for having me. And your your words are probably a little bit too kind. I've uh, yeah had a very um, not tumultuous career in basketball, but a long career, and um, yeah, still looking forward to what what's on offer. And um, yeah, really looking forward to doing this, talking basketball, watching basketball, and being around basketball is uh, a big part of my life. So this is just another mm. opportunity to do that. Well, the reason we decided to do this together was because this was going to be your first year without an official involvement in the SBL for a long time after things didn't work out at the at the Wolves at the end of last year. And then another appointment that you did have didn't end up panning out either, which we'll get to get to later. So this was going to be your way to stay involved in the competition this season. But as it turns out, you'll probably have more involvement from an SBL sense now than just about anybody else, thanks to, to this show. Yeah, look, it's a, it's funny how the world turns, and and basketball's always been there for for me, and it's somewhere that I've gone in, in different times for different reasons, and um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how other people are are coping with not having basketball, and um, if this is an avenue for them to stay in touch with uh, with the league, then um, so be it. Yeah, absolutely. And for anybody listening that wants to get in touch with us or, or to follow us on social media, you can check us out at SBL Shoot Around on any of the, the Facebook pages, the Twitter account. We've set up an Instagram account. So get in touch with us there and follow follow everything we're doing. And certainly if you want to interact with us and send Ben through some questions, then then please feel free because we, we want our listeners to, to feel like they're part of this show and any interaction from them will be will be fantastic. Just the, our decision to continue on with this show, Ben, despite the season being, being cancelled, I think it's a great chance for us to, I guess, fill the void that a lot of people will be feeling without having an SBL season. And obviously across the country, all of the NBL1 competitions were, were cancelled. I think it's a great chance for us to fill that basketball void at a, at a time where a lot of people are going to be really, really missing the game. And, and hopefully we can bring some some content that people enjoy listening to. We'll catch up with a lot of, of former greats of, of the SBL competition. We'll find out what the current players and coaches are feeling about the whole situation. So I think it's a real chance for us to feel like, to allow our listeners a chance to, to still feel like there's some sort of basketball involvement happening. Yeah, for sure. And that's that's probably the biggest thing about anyone that's been involved in a team or a club. You, you have that connection with people. And during these times, I think that's important. Um, you know, making sure people still feel connected to things they love and things they like doing and realizing that, you know, we are we are starting to see our way through this and we're we're mm. all in it together as they, they keep saying and mm-hmm. that's probably the biggest part of being a team is that you do have that satisfaction of doing something together. So if this keeps people connected and, and generates a bit of discussion um and has people talking about basketball, um then that's great for, for the world of basketball. 
Yeah, absolutely. And now, just before we get get you know further further into the show here, um, we'd like to put out our call for for some support here on the show. We we're not in this to to make money for ourselves, but we you know do have some some costs to cover to make this show show happen, and just to just to make sure that we can keep keep bringing this to you on a, on a on a weekly basis. So if anybody out there would like to become a sponsor on this show and partner up with up with us here at, at SBL Street Around, I would encourage you to get in touch with us, and I'm sure we can can work some, something out. And we want to be able to keep bringing this to you. And and you know you know Ben, I'm sure you've come in contact with a lot of different different sponsors and and companies and and great backers of basketball over the years. And if anyone wants to partner with us, we'll we'll sure to make sure that it's it's worth their while. Yeah, as they say, teamwork makes the dream work. So if anyone mm. wants to jump on board, feel free. Absolutely. Now let, let's get get further into the show, Ben. Now, obviously, the whole world's been rocked by COVID nineteen, and you know we haven't been been safe from it here in in WA. And you know we 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 were at the SBL Blitz, and we saw some we saw the teams getting ready for action, and you know everyone was looking pretty excited for the season ahead and all of a sudden just a couple of days out from the season starting proper we heard the news that it was postponed and and now as of last week the season as a whole is cancelled thanks to the coronavirus um before we talk about a talk about it from a basketball sense what sort of an impact has it had on on your your life and and yours of your of your family so far I think it's uh, one of those things where it's been very awakening to a lot of the things that you do, um, you know, taking for granted, being able to take my son up to see his granddad, you know, those sorts mm. of things. We haven't been able to do that. Um, had to be very careful. You know, when we're, what we're doing socially, um, you know, there's no more down the park and that sort of stuff is finding different ways to stay active and stay Stay connected, as I said at the start. You know, we're we're all all affected by this, and um, it's also made you or made us really take into stock how much time and how we do communicate with each other. Um, you know, making that extra effort uh, to to jump on the phone rather than sending a text message or things like that. So, as much as it's taken things away from the family, I think it's also made us reconnect in different ways, a bit like the old days when you used to pick up the phone and, and call sure. home when you were away and that sort of stuff. So, yeah, for everything that's taken away, I think it's also brought brought our family a little bit closer together. Hmm. Now you're also working as a teacher at the moment. Obviously, schools were were heavily affected, and I guess at the start. Um, parents were encouraged to not send their students and then they were encouraged to only send them if they had to and then they were encouraged to send them if they could and, and now over the last couple of weeks everyone's been told to to send their their kids back to school as per normal what's what's it been like as a teacher during this whole whole period yeah look it's been really weird it's almost uh i think the only way to describe it was kind of like the end of the year when you know kids start going on holidays or they start to uh, yeah. you get to that end of the point in time where there's not a lot of uh, reports written and and the actual classwork starts to diminish. We sort of you know, the numbers mm. were dropping steadily over the back half of term one. To eventually we got down to less than thirty percent at the school in the, about week eight, and then by week nine and ten, um, I know our school we had probably one or two kids attending each each day in that last week. So um, that was a really weird environment to be in. Yeah, just uh, almost like a skeleton skeleton crew at the school, not the normal hustle and bustle of recess and and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then school holidays was the weirdest school holidays. Again, just sitting around your house or finding little pockets that you could go to and get out for some sunshine and fresh air. And then back all that first week, things slowly returned to normal to where we're at full capacity now and um, we're full steam ahead. So. It 
was just one again one of those things where everyone had to do the right thing, and it was weird because we've never really experienced it. But um, mm. yeah, look, we've all seen to manage to come through, and if we keep doing all the right things, hopefully we keep making those steps forward. Now we'll we'll dedicate our our next segment to going in depth about the SBL and everything it means means for the competition but just for you personally you were always not going to be officially involved in the competition this year um what were you expecting this year to be like for you from a basketball sense and in you know i mean what were you expecting to be doing i I guess was it how strange was it going to be for you to not be involved in in the sbl this year oh look for me it was um Oh, I picked up a basketball when I was 13 and I've had one in my hand or at close reach um, mm. for the last 33 years. So mm-hmm. to not be um, have it there was, was going to be different. Um, I guess I was kind of really looking for looking to recharge and find a, another another way to you know, get excited about basketball and that's why there was a change in, in colours and, and club and I guess yeah. when that didn't sort of come to fruition um, sort of just then went back and started to really have a, have a look at what I'd, what I'd been doing and some processes and some, some ideas and started to you know, got that extra bit of time to sit down and, and have a look and then it was you know uh, as I said, being able to reconnect with your family and and that sort of thing has been been a positive. And you know, uh, it's uh, it's it's different. It's it's the same for everyone. But um, I guess that in enjoying that little bit of extra time, you, again, you take it for granted that it's there all the time, or you you don't make time for for different things. But yeah, look, it's it has been a big change, and I've enjoyed it. But mm. yeah, there was a few few Thursday nights when you'd sort of look at the clock and go, I'd normally be driving to practice about now, and that's yeah. not happening. But um, yeah, I guess it's just that you know, changing your focus into something and trying to turn it into a positive rather than looking at it as a negative. In a basketball sense, globally, it seems like this lack of live basketball action has been filled by the Last Dance documentary focused on Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls. It's it's been almost perfect timing that it's it's been released when it has, and it just seems like it's taken the whole the whole basketball world by storm. Um, I'm assuming you've been able to watch at least some of it so far. What have you What have you made of it, and what have you also made of the re- reaction to it? It's it's taken off like almost nothing nothing else ever has. I think it just gives uh, this generation, and that makes me sound really, really old, but it gives them <laughs> that same sense of euphoria and enjoyment and almost hanging on tender hooks that, that we used to have in the early 90s when, yeah. when you'd get to see Michael Jordan play and or you'd read an article or you'd... Um, you'd buy a magazine with him on the front cover. Like we all experience that and it's hard to describe that to someone. Um, so, mm. you know, for, for, I know with the kids at school, it was a talking point for me, the, the kids there asking them, you know, had they watched it and they might've seen the shoes or seen highlights, but they'd never seen, you know, the actual impact that he had globally yep. and it stretched all over the world. And that to me has been what it's been about. It's also for guys that have got kids that are around that age that can actually sit down and watch it. You know, they're they're reconnecting with their kids over their hero. It's um, and mm. it's in some cases, it's becoming their kid's favourite player. So you know, that to me is is what it's about, and that was the impact that that Michael Jordan had. You know, he's the he's the catalyst for so many of us wanting to play basketball or being involved in basketball. Um, and I think that yeah, the timing of it couldn't have been better despite the yeah. circumstances and we'll probably see he's inspired another generation of, of hoops junkies um you know in 10 15 years time yeah that's what it's been 
That's what's been so great about it for me too. I felt like it's allowed me the chance to relive what it was like living through that period in the 90s where I was a massive basketball fan and everything that Michael Jordan did, I just lived and breathed it. I just couldn't couldn't get enough of it. You know, those early 90s championships he won and then, you know, he, he went off to, to make Space Jam and that was such an amazing thing when that came out. And then he, then he came back and you wondered if he could recapture the magic and then he goes on to win those three championships and, and to go out how he, how he did. And it was almost, this has almost been like reliving that, but but also getting a behind-the-scenes look of everything that was going on too. It's been remarkable, but almost a, a better thing for me is the fact that the, the the people that didn't grow up in that era, the, the people that you know we deal with, like the kids you see at school or the younger players that you've coached that have only really heard about Michael Jordan and then they grow up thinking that there's never been anything like LeBron James in the world and all of a sudden, not this isn't at all meant to denigrate LeBron but it just it gives this next generation a chance to to see what came before them and to know that I guess Michael Jordan was much more than just that logo that they now see on their shoes most definitely and and I think you hit the nail on the head it's not uh, saying that one player is better than another or or anything like that it's it's more about the impact and there's people that have been impacted in many different ways by many different people and um, but Jordan just seemed to have that that impact on a on a bigger audience so um, yeah, it's uh, as as they sort of talk about, you know, the timing of it all. Um, him him come when he comes out of college, when he wins the Olympic medal, when he's Barcelona mm. in '92, like all those things just sort of happened as this perfect storm for him. And the release of this couldn't have couldn't have come at a better time. Have you sat down with your son and watched it? Is your is your son get, getting into it? Uh, he's more of a Space Jam fan. <laughs> Um, so <laughs> he's he's enjoyed watching Space Jam. We've watched that a couple of times, yeah. um, and he's put two and two together. He's he's sat down and watched, and he's he said, "Oh, that's Michael Jordan." Yep. But then usually the headphones go back on, and he's back playing Minecraft. <laughs> so we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, it's been a, it's been great timing, and and the amazing thing is, ten episodes feels like it hasn't been been enough. I mean, well, when you first hear about the release of ten ten episodes, you think, how are they going to fill it? But now that it's finished, we're all craving craving even more. Yeah, and I'll, you look at it and you go, well, that, if that's what they put into the 10 episodes, surely there was, you know, there's probably another three or four that they could yeah. probably have shown. I've, I've heard you know, other podcasts talk about the, the footage of the uh, Space Jam um, scrimmage sessions yep. and, and so on and so forth and just the footage at practice. And you know, I would love to see a few of those scrimmages where, where Phil loaded up the op- – or sorry, Doug Collins loaded up the opposition team and put Michael on the, yeah, that was on the team yeah. that was losing. Just, just to see those, you know, how he actually went about it and what he did and – um, and the other players reacting to him. Like, I know we saw a bit of it and we heard their accounts, but just those initial reactions to, to him, um, yeah, just that aura that he had. So, yeah, just, just phenomenal. Great insight. Let's keep moving. Let's go back to talking about the SBL and what's happened now for the 2020 season. Um, when it was first postponed, um, I guess none of us really knew what, what light ahead. Um, did you... What was your reaction to that, first of all, and did you think that there was a real chance of it being cancelled altogether back then, or were you still expecting some sort of season in some form to, to end up starting up? Um, I think yeah, the initial shock of it being cancelled, again, it's like nothing we've ever seen before, and I, I yeah. tried to think of, of a, something that I could relate it to, and of something being yanked away, and the, the only things that I could really relate it to, and again, a very small scale, was like you know, when we've had those games up at the old Junelup Stadium, when you'd get there and you'd get told the, bell, the, bell the, the, the court was wet and the game's been cancelled, yep. it's sort of like you've gone through this whole build-up, 
um, the week's preparation for the game, Seb's 350th, for example. We went through yeah. all the build-up for that, and then it gets called. I mean, that was probably a similar feeling that a lot of people had when they'd gone through yeah. you know, 10, 12 weeks of a preseason, and then at that, that final bell, it, it gets pulled away. So that, those feelings were very weird and very yeah, didn't quite know how to process it. But then it was sort of like you're thinking, well, yeah, give it a month. Yeah, you know, we'll be we'll be back in a month. I'll just put it back a month, and then you saw a few dates come out for NBL one that they were expecting to start, um, you know, in uh, mid April, and then next thing they just pushed out to first of March, and then uh, sorry, first of May, and then next thing you know, mm. everything, you know, especially with the borders closing, I guess that was probably when we sort of started to work think about well how a player is going to get back, how our imports going to get here, yeah. what are we going to do? So, but yeah, it was was quite quite a shock. Um, mm. But yeah, initially the the thought was yeah, look, we'll have something. There'll be there'll be yeah. at least some sort of a season that we can can hang our hat on and um, and get through. Do you feel like, quite simply, the, the decision to not play is just because there's if if we're assuming that over the next few months we're still not going to be able to have crowds go to venues that there's no way for the clubs to make money through their SBL program, even if the players are willing to pay for free, it's still going to end up having significant expenses based on you know you you still got to pay pay some staff, you've still got to pay for court hire, you've still got to pay referees, you still have a lot of different different costs. That, and if there's no crowd coming in to pay to watch, um, both you're not making money, but is there much of a point also playing if no one can, can watch it? It's almost like the, the chicken before before the egg. Is it quite simply the fact that no one could come in to watch and no one could pay to watch? That is that the main reason, do you feel like, behind the decision? Um, look, I think it's part of it. Uh, I don't know how yeah. many clubs actually make a profit off their uh, crowds. I know sponsorship sure. is huge. So if they're not putting you know those people in front of those sponsorship signs, then you know, those sponsors aren't going to be there. But I think mm. you know, the the actual costs that were there um, basically came from you no know, domestic competitions. Like clubs make money off their domestic competitions, not yeah. from SBL. So if that's not there, then the SBL is kind of like just you know trying to get blood from a stone. There, there's there's sure. no money there for it. So um, yeah, I think that's sort of where it was. Clubs are putting them putting themselves in a situation where it was going to cost them even more um, and they've got their businesses and they're trying to um, stay afloat and, and they've, you know, some, some associations have staff members and so on and so forth so they've got to pay them and keep them on board so I think it's just one of those things where it all ties in together and I mean, probably more than, I mean the players would play if you said to the guys we're going to, we're going to play right now and there's going to be no one there the, I, I would say that 90% mm. of the players would be there playing um, yep. and the ones that weren't they'd probably have a good reason as to why but you know um, definitely wouldn't guys would not be shirking the fact that they weren't going to get paid to play basketball they they love the game they want to play the game um they'd find a way to get it done so i think yeah that running cost and the cost on the associations i mean we're trying they're trying to stay afloat as it is so um that's probably the biggest ones we wouldn't have had any imports either what sort of an impact does that have and if you're not having imports is there still a point playing would have you still been happy to go ahead without any any imports most definitely i mean you know, again, it's it opens up opportunities. The you yeah. take out uh, those import players, and suddenly guys who perhaps are, are eyeing an NBL one contract over east, or a New Zealand NBL contract, or a, uh, an NBL contract, um, suddenly they they become the man on their team, and they're getting that extra mm-hmm. opportunity. Um, and then at the bottom end, you've got the kids who probably instead of sitting on the end of the bench, suddenly move up to seventh or eighth in the rotation, and and they're getting better. Um, because of the opportunity that's being provided to them. So, um, yeah, look, imports add a lot to the league and they do bring bring people in, but I don't think not having them in the league for 
you know, a, a situation like this would mm. um, would damage the product uh, in, in the long term. You'd probably unearth three or four extra guys at each club given an opportunity and would make the next the next year even stronger because those guys have actually got you know yeah. 20, 20 games against quality opposition the, the guys I think it was probably going to impact the most or will impact the most will be the guys that towards the end of their career that perhaps were already mm-hmm. putting in place things to move on um, yeah. you know, they they might be finding it hard to go 20 months without playing or, or that competition or in that time um, that's a lot of time for you know, houses to be bought or jobs to change or babies to be yeah. born and so on and so forth. So your priorities change. So they might have had that, you know, this is my last go around and I've got six months and we're going to get through it. Um, and then suddenly that's taken away and so no, it's, it's now going to be 20 months away before we're playing or, to, or 12 months away. Um, that perhaps could change a few of those guys that were towards the end of their career. Yeah. Yeah, it's a great point. You get some guys like that that, we might never see play again now, and we get some, I guess, some positives out of it. Like someone like a Kyle Armour who is going to have to miss this whole season with his knee injury. Suddenly, he doesn't have to miss any games at all. That's it. That's, uh, that was one of the uh, one of the other people, yeah, that I'd, I'd sort of spoken to, and it gives him that chance to rehab. And I know he's he's gone, you know, a hundred hundred percent to try and get that knee right. Um, mm. Yeah, it gives him that extra extra time um, to get his body right. And then, you know, if if there was to be a competition um, next year, he's he hasn't missed a beat. Yeah. If you're a player now, now that you've gone through the whole preseason, you were ready to play because we'd gone through the whole the whole pre-season blitz and everyone had played there. If you're a player now, all of a sudden you've got no basketball, official basketball. What do you what do you do? How do you try to fill that that void in your life if you're one of the one of the players? Um again, I think there'd be there's a few things that they could you know, dedicate some time to those those injury management, if those those little niggles, mm-hmm. um, you know, getting yourself in in tip-top shape, doing some some mental training, getting building your resilience and that sort of stuff. Um, watching some some extra game tape, you know, guys towards the end of their career, like we're talking about, they may want it, they could probably be dedicating a bit more time to the family and mm-hmm. you know, letting them know that yeah, look, you know, the times have changed, but it's a chance to reconnect. Um, but I am going to go around again, so you know, it's it's just sort of put that plan on hold. Um, but I guess you know, the biggest thing is basketballers love the sound of the ball bouncing. They love to see the ball go through the hoop. And while that's been taken away, that's probably been been the um, the hardest part for for many of them um, because that's why we love the game. That's the part of the game we love. So as that starts to filter back into into our daily lives, I think we'll start to see people, yeah, their their sort of um, preparation and and things like that get get back on track and i've got a bit of extra time now to, to work on perhaps that weakness that they had to, to be ready for that opportunity overall do you feel like the right decision was made i mean for all the things that we've we've talked about there was there was probably ways to still make it happen but realistically at least if it happened within the next few weeks the goldfield giants and the Geraldton buccaneers one of them who is the defending champions wouldn't have been able to play just through the travel restrictions so suddenly you lose two clubs um do you feel like the right decision has been made or do you feel like there should have been they should have made every effort to make something happen or how do you feel about the way it has transpired I feel like for me, this is me personally. I think when you're talking about you know, people's health and people's lives and stuff like that, yeah, you're, you're better off to, as we've seen, it's easier to say we did too much than we didn't do enough. Yep. Um, so sure. look, any time it's it's like that, I think that um that you've got to you've got to take that into account. So um yeah, wouldn't wouldn't argue that um you know we didn't do the right thing given the consequences if 
if we had have gone ahead and um, you know you've just got to look around the league and and the, the number of volunteers who perhaps are in those high risk categories um, whether it's mm-hmm. people sitting on the door or bench staff or so on and so forth um, oh. if it was to put someone like that at jeopardy then I don't think anyone would have been able to to live with themselves so I think the decision was the right thing based on all the medical evidence and the the guidance that we've been given um, and I think maybe maybe if anything maybe leaving the door open for the for an opportunity later in the year when restrictions are lifted or we're given the all yeah. clear that you know what we're we're 100 covid safe and and things can go get back to normal um perhaps leaving that little window of opportunity for for teams but again when we don't know when that's going to be it's, it's yeah. hard to put that in place so as much as i would love to again drive down to warwick and watch a game of basketball in in a couple of weeks um mm. the fact that i don't get to do that look i think yeah knowing no we've made a decision based on everyone's health and wellness that that sits all right with me yeah, and I guess from a selfish perspective, as as much of it as it affects my life, going from dedicating um, basically my whole life to the SBL season while it was running to suddenly having having nothing, as selfish as as that would be, I think I think the right decision has been made for 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 a number of of reasons. What I wouldn't mind doing on a future episode, Ben, is going through how all of the teams were shaping up and and getting your thoughts on how how they were looking. But we've got plenty of time, so we don't need to we don't need to get everything done on this first episode. So we'll sure. we'll keep that in our pocket for a, for a future episode because I think it's fascinating how some of the teams were looking coming into this season. But um, you've mentioned a couple of times that there's a chance that something still might pop up in a competitive sense for the players to play once the restrictions have started to be lifted a little bit more. Do you have any idea what that? Might might, might look like and uh, we, we have no idea when but do you have any idea what some sort of a competition might look like a couple of months down the road oh look i i've, I've had a couple of conversations with a couple of people and but whether it's a, a hub type situation where you know the metro teams are playing um like in the north and the south at, at two different venues just to to help with the tracking of people and and that mm. sort of thing, and then um, or whether it's a, a single like we get they got a, a single round out so everyone played everyone once. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure, but yeah, look, I I think that there would be a way. Uh, again, players are keeping themselves in shape, and and clubs are utilising the you know, 20 people available to to be practicing non-contact wise. Most of the stuff you could do in a basketball session, you know, you could you could probably get away with the non contact um, and be ready. You could you could probably squeeze something in in a month to six weeks. I mean the the New Zealand NBL is is sort of all over and done with in twelve weeks. Uh, there's there's ways and means. Um, especially quite, and Perth, shorter, I mean, is that they're now having a season that I think is only four or five weeks long because of everything that's there happened. There you go. Yeah. So yeah. Look, I think if the, if everyone's gonna if everyone's safety is taken into account and, and I know the players would want to do it. Um, I did see some some Basketball Australia regulations around how games were going to be run for for a social competition, which kind of yep. made me chuckle a little bit. <laughs> but you know, the uh, referees not allowed to blow the whistle in the direction of players, and kind of makes it a bit hard, <laughs> I think. But it, you know, I think we're getting there. We're starting to put things in place. And I know if you'd said to guys they were going to have to play you know, three games in a weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, um, to get to get those extra games in or the Metro teams are going to play a midweek game on a Wednesday night um, plus a Saturday and a Sunday. That, again, it opens opportunities for, for younger players to be in the rotation, give those guys a chance, um, get some people going through doors, get venues open. So, look, I think there, there is a way to get it done. Um, but, yeah, look, it's going to have to be when, when, everything's, when everything is up and running, I guess. 
Yeah, absolutely. There's plenty more to be discussed in in terms of that topic. So we'll we'll come back to it next week, and we'll and we'll we'll give you an update and and have a chat about a few more, I guess, of the the flow and effects of the SBL season being cancelled. But for now, Ben, I wanted to spend this first episode getting a bit of a chance to just just reflect on your remarkable basketball journey and, and to allow our listeners to, to get to know you a little bit more, I guess, before in future episodes we get to know our guests. I thought we'd take this chance to get to know you a little bit. Um, I thought I'd get the hardest question out of the way first, though. Um, you were going to be coaching the East Perth Eagles this season. Um, can you tell us what happened and why that, that arrangement ended up not, not coming through? I mean, for me, it was just ended up being a, a difference of philosophy and the direction. Um, you know, East Perth wanted to make some changes and they wanted to you know, get things right, or not right, but wanted to make some changes on the court. And then they've also got some things going on off the court that they're doing really well with their domestic competition, their wobble, and they're really you know, heading in the right direction. And I guess it was just that, that difference in where they wanted to go in year one and where I sort of felt we needed to go in, in year one and we just got to this impasse that we just couldn't get past and at the end of the day, if, it's, if it was going to be like that, then we just sort of felt, well, look, it's not really going to work. Um, we're not mm. really aligned like we thought we would be. Um and they kind of felt that they, they were happy to go with, with a different coat because um, that sort of fit more with what their club philosophy was. So in the end, you know, we shook hands and, and said, look, all the best and Good luck with it all, and I'm sure I'll see you around the trap. So that's kind of where it ended. Again, yeah. I was I was excited to be to be there and doing some different things and be around a different group. And I think it was probably good for those boys as well, uh, a different voice to hear. It was also good for me to have some different faces in front of me, and was sort of taking me back to not the drawing board, but back to some things that you start to take for granted because you're walking into the same thing every week. So I had to really sort of sharpen the sword a bit and, and go back to the, the preparation phases and and how you're explaining things because the guys didn't have that residual. So um, was enjoying it, but it just yeah, at the end of the day, it was relationships don't work for for many reasons and this one just wasn't wasn't quite clicking the way that we thought it was going to and so you know they you know, they went the way that they thought was going to be better for their club um given where they were at um from an actual um off the court and a and a junior development sort of program thing so and look yeah, I wish them all the best. I followed them at, at the at Blitz and stayed in touch with, with Luke Coburn as the coach and you know checked in with mm-hmm. him in, in the lead-in because it was his first chance and checked in with a few yeah. of the boys. So, um, yeah, look, wish them all the best and, and hopefully they're, they're still there when the competition opens up again. Yeah, I mean, from my point of view, it's fascinating that a... A club that has been largely directionless for for a while wasn't willing to back in a coach like you who's got a proven track record to do things your way. To me, that just seems seems baffling. And and obviously, people at the club think that they they know better. And and you know, we're waiting to see how it all how it all pans out. But I think if you appoint somebody like you, and I'm not just saying that because we're doing this show together, and with your track record, I just think that you should be given the reins to to do things how you see fit. Because if we'll move on now to your record at the at the Wolves, and it's it's just remarkable. You you, you coached the the seven years there, and you never finished worse than than a semi final, six grand finals, two championships, and. And once you came back from the national team to coach the last five years, you made five straight grand finals, which is an, an unbelievable achievement. I think your win-loss record is, is almost 80% throughout the competition. And, and I think when we've got such a competitive league like the SBL, that is that is remarkable. Um, I think that, that record speaks for itself that you deserve to be given the free range at a club that needed to be given some direction. I guess you don't need to comment on that, but I guess that's prob- prob- probably the way you, you saw it and that's what you were hoping for when you did take on the job. 
yeah, look, you're always looking for challenges and you're always looking for opportunities and that was the opportunity that presented itself. And again, when we sat down at the start, we, we kind of felt, yeah, we could make it work. And, and both of us said, look, we're going to you know, sign for three years, but we're going to reassess along the way and um, essentially you know, signed in, what is it, the end of August, uh, early September. Mm. So we're about six months in. And again, just one of those sitting down and look, yeah, it's not, not quite working. Um, probably best for, for both sides that we go this way and, and yeah look it is what it is um, but yeah kind of was really looking forward to that opportunity to, to do something special with that group of guys and as I said there's there's a bunch of boys there that I had started to develop a really good relationship with and, and really felt like I'd let them down based on the decision that was, was made mm. What about the decision to leave the Wolves last year? Um, how tough was that to come to the conclusion to move on after everything you achieved but at the same time you must leave with an, an enormous amount of pride for what you you had done. I know that there's other people involved in the club as well that made it happen, but if you go back to 2010, this club was in basically on its knees, and you have a look at it now in 2020 after everything you achieved as a coach, and, and I know that there's other parts that go into a club to make it successful, but, gee, it's, it's gone from a club, like I said, on its knees to basically the benchmark of, of WA basketball. Yeah, I guess that's, you know... What when you see that what the what the vision of the of the board and the president was back then in in 2010 and and when I sat down with them and, and discussed what I wanted to do with the SBL program that I guess when you see that alignment of both being on the same page and again the support that I was given all the way along even at the start um, when we were still in the old little June Lop Stadium there and Van mm. and Mary you know, running the show you know, yeah. no, nothing but uh, 100% support and everything that we're trying to do all the way up to the end where you know yep things often well not often but sometimes you don't see eye to eye with people but when you're doing things with the best intentions of the club and its members you tend to you meet on that common ground and I think that's what we saw the success you know yeah the club on the court was having great success but off the court second to none uh, as as yep. a professional of an organization that you would ever want to work with and you know that that time was excellent and again it's you get to that point where there's only so much you feel like you can do and it is you're always looking for that that little bit of inspiration and it just sort of seemed like that was the right time win lose or draw perhaps that was the right time to move on so that's kind of you know yeah the no animosity towards the wolves in in leaving it was just that was the time that's that's traced right back to your playing career obviously as you mentioned before you you first started playing basketball when you were 13 and and basically haven't stopped being involved either as a player or a coach since but as an SBL player your journey started at the Coburn Cougars in 1993 moved to the Wilton Tigers in 1995 went to the Mandurah Magic in 1997 Perth Redbacks 2001 and then back to the Magic for the last three years of your career all up you played 218 games in a in a terrific career one of the great stalwarts of the of the competition how do you reflect on your on your playing days now? Uh, for me, it was a it was just a lifelong dream to to play play basketball at that level. Um, you know, every mm-hmm. kid has the dream of again watch watch Michael Jordan hit the the game winner against Cleveland yeah. on the yeah. ABC on a Friday night delayed replay and and said that's what yeah. I want to do. And then by the age of sort of you know, sixteen was six foot one and you know not not six foot six and knew I wasn't going to make mm-hmm. it to the NBA. So the, the the SBL was was just that that vehicle to be, to be able to play and and enjoyed the time. I guess along the way, you know, had some some pretty good coaches. You know, Greg Gurr was my first coach, Jeff Anderson, mm-hmm. um, Craig or CJ Jackson and John Triscari. Yeah. Those sorts of guys are, are amazing coaches and have had great success. And, uh, you know, the journey wasn't always easy. 
Um, you know, the the first couple of years with Coburn and Willerton, I was was struggling to make the team, and one week mm-hmm. not get picked, the next week get picked, and so on and so forth. So you you go through yeah. that phase, and then um, went away to college for a year, came back, went down to Mandurah with CJ, and probably overachieved a little bit there because of the the team that we had for most of the time. It was CJ and myself as the the mm-hmm. guys traveling down from Perth with the the local Mandurah boys, who I think they were coming off an O and twenty six season, and my yeah. my next. First year there, we were one and twenty-five. So, um, mm-hmm. but then the last year with CJ, we made the playoffs against Lost in Rockingham yep. to Rockingham in the first first round. So to see go through that journey, and then um, I went on and was a role player with with Redbacks there for for a year and made the playoffs with them, and then went down to Mandurah pretty much because I was working at Rockingham Senior High School with John Triscari, mm-hmm. and he said, "Well, look." You know, come down and have a run around and just be that guy. Be almost like a playing assistant coach. Be on the end of the bench. Be that guy for us that can can impart some knowledge. So sort of went through four phases of my career that as a coach probably helped guys with those with those things like understanding where they're coming from when they're struggling with selection or non-selection or dealing with your you know your superstar players or dealing with your not that I was a superstar I'm talking about the Ernest Rosses and the Brian yeah, Sullivans yeah. and the Jalen Billups like that's you know, you know what it's like when they they feel like the game's in their hand and they it's on on their back to to do something and trying to relieve the pressure on them and then also you know how to how to manage someone like Damian Maddox or a Seb Salinas as they're heading towards the end of their career and, and really getting mm. them to impart that knowledge that they've got from from all their experience. So, um, yeah, look, enjoyed the, the 218 18 games. Wish it was more, but along the way, you know, it was uh, was, was a great journey and, and played with some great some great guys. What sort of an impact did your dad have? Obviously, he's got a, his own fantastic legacy in, in basketball, both as a player and now as a coach, what, and I guess as, as, a, as a son and a person as well. What sort of an impact has, has he had? Oh, I guess the, the best way to describe that is, you know, I, I idolised Michael Jordan growing up, but I lived under the same roof as my hero. You know, yeah. My dad was, was my first basketball coach. He was the first person that handed me a basketball and, you know, Helped me nail a bike hoop to a power pole in the middle of a 138-acre paddock in in Katanning, and you know, used to sit out there and and help me and 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 you know, do little things just to to inspire me and that sort of thing. So yeah, look, you know, being the son of a coach, um, I think let, went a long way to becoming a coach. Um, seeing the things that he was doing as a as a coach, you know, he was he would drive up from Katanning. He, he was the Division One coach at Wanneroo for a couple of years. He would drive up from Katanning on a, on a Thursday night, you know, four-hour trip, round trip. He'd drive up, coach the team, drive home, be at work the next morning. I'd see him do those things. Sometimes I was lucky enough to be able to jump in the car and come with him and you know see him do that and then see him coach state teams and go away with, with state teams and, and that. And then, um, you know, as an assistant coach in the SBL and, and, and do those sorts of things, um, being along the ride for that. And then, you know, he was the inaugural coach of the, the Perth Wheelcats when they came into the, the National League early on. And to see him do all those sorts of things, that's a, that's a hell of a career for anyone. And then to do that as a paraplegic and an able-bodied sport uh, for the majority of it, again, just unbelievable. And his, his eye for detail, his ability to see something, and apply it like we he would get tapes sent over college tapes nba tapes sent over late 80s early 90s i've got games of ricky grace in college from 1987 that no one had ever heard of ricky grace then but he he mm. got the tapes we were watching the ncaa final four and he's playing and that sort of stuff and you know, he'd yeah. see something on that and we would be doing it in our under 16s or under 18s team that 
things that were ahead of their time. And he came in into practice one day with this article that he'd read in this Spanish basketball magazine, and it was called Trizia, which means three or meant three pointers or something. And he said, mm-hmm. "This is the way it's. This is the early '90s, and he, all we did for a whole season was just shoot threes. And just so far ahead of his time in the way he thought about yeah. the game. Even even nowadays, he you know, no matter where I am or where I was in the world. You know, the, our games would get put online, put up on Huddle, and before I woke up the next morning, I'd have a text message, and it'd be four pages long of the things that he'd seen people doing in the game, down to hand <laughs> positions on wheels, or this guy looks over his left shoulder, and you need to attack his right. His eye for detail was just unbelievable, and I kind of try to think that I've been taking that from him, but even now, he'll he'll pick something out and and just blow me away with with what he's seen, and yeah, just just a great man, and his work ethic, and nothing ever ever given easy you know he was a shearer from the age of 16 so he, yeah. he grew up in shearing sheds and that sort of stuff so he's just you know a great man and like i say very fortunate to, to have my hero under the under the same roof as me as as it probably is for a lot of young boys when they look at their dad and, and idolize what he's doing no really well said um your coaching journey obviously then, then you ended up coaching the perth wheelcats and had fantastic success and then it led into working for the national team and with the with the rollers and also some some of the underage australian teams you had great success how much how much did you enjoy enjoy being involved both at the wheelcats and then for the australian team it must have been a great honor to to lead lead the country yeah look that was again something that was just an opportunity that 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 was presented to me through basketball. Um, I'd finished playing. I wanted to coach. I felt that I needed to have a, a sort of a bit of separation from the guys that I'd just finished playing with um, and against. Like, just needed that little bit of a break. And the Wheelcats opportunity came up, and I, I thought I would do it for a year, do that for a year. It was a national competition. There was a little bit of travel involved. So it was kind of serious enough to um, to spark my interest, but it wasn't going to be a, a full-time um, commitment. Um, the season's only a couple of months long, and, and it fit really nicely into that sort of end of the end of the playing career. And then, you know, that was in uh, 2004, and then it wasn't until 2016 that I walked away from wheelchair basketball. Yeah. Pretty much, um, you know, content with everything that I'd done in in that sport, and again, made some some really good friends, had some amazing experiences, um, three Paralympic games, and and two World Championships. Uh, not to be sneezed at by any count. Um, no way. And, you know, never once took the opportunities for granted. And I guess the the part for me was a bit like the the Wolves boys, seeing a lot of those boys when you're around because I was around after ten years, seeing them sort of go from eighteen and nineteen year old boys and and larrikins to men that have grown up with with families and buying houses the same thing with the wheelcats you know those guys were all um you know 17 18 19 um and then when you leave there you know fully fledged men and they've got you know three gold medals hanging around their neck it was mm. it was quite amazing and, and very fortunate to to be given that opportunity what about the the first two years that you had coaching at, at at the Wolves? Obviously, when you first took over, they were they were coming from a long way behind, and by the time you left at the end of 2011, you were you were you were the champions. Um, how how did how do you look back on those first two years? Yeah, look, it was it was really um, in 2010 that I started at, at the Wolves. I Craig Friday was my assistant coach with the Rollers, and again yep. trying to get better as a coach and and trying to help him get better. I, I said to him. We were at a tournament. We just won the World Cup. Actually, no, it was the the qualifiers in 2009. And I said, look, you do a great job reading me and you you make me a better coach, but I want to make you a better coach. So how about we switch spots and I be mm-hmm. your assistant coach with the with the girls' team? And he said, yeah, yep. love it. So I was his assistant coach and seeing the game from 
his perspective and um, learning it, you know, being able to support him and and um, do those things that he would do for me, be, be those little extra things that an assistant coach should do gave me another appreciation for what you, what you expect of your staff and what you should ask of your staff and you, know, you shouldn't ask anything of someone that you wouldn't do yourself. So if I'm mm-hmm. asking him to chart fouls and turnovers and stats, then I should be doing that for him. So got to know the club, got to know the the management, got to know the people behind the scenes and, and sort of fell in love with, with them up there. And um, I think the, the guys missed the playoffs or they got, got bounced in the first round um, in 2010 yeah. and the opportunity came up. And I, I sat down and I thought, well, it sort of fits. It dovetails in. It's not – I can do a lot of similar stuff off the court. Um, as far as the cultural development and leadership development that I'm doing with the rollers with these guys. Um, mm-hmm. I, look, I looked at the team and I think there was six or seven of the boys that I actually taught at Woodvale back between sort of 2001 and 2003 when I was teaching there. So yeah. Reese Maxwell, Greg Hire, Matt Schmettig, uh, the Easter boys, Reese Langford, yeah. um, even Seb Salinas had him there for a week. Um, so I had mm-hmm. a, that sort of been around the boys for a bit, um, knew them um, and sort of thought, well, look, it's now or never. So jumped in and, yeah, look, was just, again, phenomenal from, from the time I, I set foot in the stadium. Van and Mary were amazing. Uh, everyone that was involved in the club, the setup crew guys, you know, those guys, were, you know, they, they literally bleed green setting up the stadium and that sort of stuff. So that's the sort of thing that I really, really enjoyed. Um, and then, you know, the, the success that we had, I think we started two and three on the season and then started to string together a few wins. And, and before you know it, we're, we're sitting there in a grand final. And um, you know, mm. as, as we know, um, big pressure moments. People people stand up and do big things. And um, Greg Hire, I think it was his coming yeah. of age. You know that back end of that season and that that grand final was just absolutely amazing. And you know that kind of set the set the tone. That was it. We we sort of developed that belief and and things kind of grew from there. Yeah, at the end of 2012, you lost in the semi-finals, and then you took a couple of years off to focus on the national team. I, I think you had to either move to Sydney or spend a lot of time in Sydney. Did you always see yourself coming back, though? And if you did come back, did you always want to come back to the Wolves? Oh, most definitely. I, again, I was very fortunate that Craig Craig was my assistant in the men's program at that time, um, and Luke Brendan had also come on board as as an assistant in the men's program. Um, had spent that time very close with those two, and and had then taken those two onto the rollers with me. So Luke came on board as our video tech, and Craig was the assistant. So. We had that connection um, while I was away for the 13 and 14 um, living in Sydney. Just going back to the 2012 season, you know, that, that team was as good as any team we'd ever had. I think, you know, we had Greg, yeah, 23 and 3, Greg, Damien Maddox, MVP, Jordan Wilde, Jackson Hussey, um, Seb, Peak Seb Salinas, you know, Reese Maxwell back on board for the full season. Uh, Reese Smythe rehabbed his knee and came back halfway through. Um, you know that team was was phenomenal. And then the, you talk about the perfect storm. Um, I actually had to leave the team at the start of the semi-finals to to go to the Par- London Paralympics. So uh, we were staging in in Cardiff in Wales. So I had to leave um, at the start of that. That um, Jackson Hussey had to go to college, so he left at the start of semi-finals. Uh, Greg Hire had the end of his fingertip exploded, and so he was That's out. Right. Yeah. Um, we ended up completely decimated and looked lost to East Perth I think it was in that in that semi-final and I think they were very very well poised to to, to maybe go back to back then as well but you know, the cards mm. fall as they may and and that was that but you know that team was as good as as any Wolves team that we that we put on the floor so um but yeah look 
had stayed in touch with with the Wolves boys and saw saw Luke and and Craig quite regularly. And whenever I was back over over this side, would always be down at practice and and seeing the boys and that sort of thing. So um, if ever I was going to come back and and be in the league again, um, the plan was to be over there till 2016, uh, mm-hmm. but sort of came back came back a couple of years early, basically through the the birth of my first son or my only son, sorry. Yep. Um, yep. And then you know decided that Perth being home was the best best place for us to be. Uh, to to bring him up, so moved back at the end of 2014. And the last five years have been remarkable. You made the grand final every single year, won the championship the first year, and you know it's tough to say it, but you lost the last four four grand finals. How do you? I'm, I'm always fascinated to ask you this question, and I've asked you it right throughout the whole journey as we've been going along. But how do you how do you juggle the fact that you must be immensely proud of the fact that you've got such a good team such a great culture such a great playing group that they're capable of making five grand finals but how do you then juggle that that fact with the the enormous pain that it must feel to lose four grand finals in a row i guess it's you know yeah it's things and i mean you know i've lost a, a paralympic gold medal game you know i've lost the four grand finals it's the nature of basketball you know, no one shoots 100%. No one, you know, you don't win every game, those old adages. So you've got to, you've got to take it in, in your stride. Know that at the end of the day, you know, your job isn't life and death. Um, I've, hmm. I've had people talk to me that are in the military and their job is to train frontline soldiers in Afghanistan. And a good day for them is when everyone comes home safe and sure. no one dies. So yeah. that's the conversation that you, you have with yourself that, you know what, it's a game of basketball and tomorrow morning we can all go out and shoot a hoop if we want. So, you put it in that perspective. The other way you look at it is that, you know, there's 12 other teams that would just love to be there. Um, there's 12 other teams that weren't good enough to be there on that final night. Um, and, you know, the, the best team will come out on top at the end. And basketball is a, has a funny way of levelling things and, and the ball doesn't lie, as Rashid Wallace said. And, you know, it is what it is in those other four. You know, the best team won on the night and all power to those teams. But, you know, as far as the, the legacy of that group of players, I think, you know, the bond that they have, you get to enjoy the highest of highs if you experience the lowest of lows. So, mm-hmm. you know, that was probably the thing for the, that group as well that sort of bonded them so closely together and, and why they are such a, a great bunch of blokes and almost like a family off the court. And then also for the staff, you know, like I said, Luke Brennan's been my right-hand man for, for such a long time and to see him go through all those things and now be on a Wildcats bench is is phenomenal yeah. um, you know having, having people like that come along with you for the journey um, and share those experiences it's, it does bring you really close and all those people the, the Donna Ironmongers the, the Ryan Campbells the you know, Brett Oates uh, Doug Gate uh, all those mm. people that have been there you know, they're the people that I've actually taken the time to check in with and make sure they're doing alright and vice versa because you've experienced something pretty special and, um, and you care about them deeply and, and that's what it's about you know that's the thing that you take away those relationships that you've made same thing with the rollers boys like you know moving away from them you know still in contact with them have some lifelong friends in that that circle um and you know the the highs far outweigh the low so yeah yeah we lost lost a few games but end of the day no one died so you it puts it in perspective pretty quickly from the outside i think a lot of people assumed that you stepped aside the end of last year because you lost another grand final, but I guess I'm privileged to some information to to, to know that the decision was made before that from, from both parties. Did you just want to clear up that I guess I guess the decision was made for you to move on before this the season ended and it was based on you know, no matter how it ended up, if you if you won the championship you you were still going to be to be moving on. 
Oh, look, and that's that's partly true. I mean, it, I I went into June Lup in 2014 and there and said, look, I've got a vision for 2020, and I want to be the mm-hmm. coach that coaches this team into 2020. Um, there was a boot a group of boys in their under 18s and under 20s that I said. That's the group that I want to coach to a championship. And at the end of 2019, a one-year contract was offered and I wanted a three-year contract, which I felt would yeah. give me the opportunity to transition boys that had been there for the 10 years into those mentorship roles, assistant coach roles, so on and so forth, and, and bring through you know, another group of, of Wolves um, players that were going to have success. And um, you know, that was kind of the, the sticking point. And again, yeah, as you're correct, the, the decision was made that win, lose or draw, uh, if I didn't want a one-year contract, then I, I wouldn't be coaching there. So they did offer me a, a contract. It just wasn't, mm-hmm. um, I felt, three years. In one year, you can't really do do a lot. You know, you, sure. It's essentially six months. Season finished end of July, for example. Um, you've, yeah. you've been with the team for six months. It's not a 12-month thing. You don't get a chance to review, to, 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 to make some changes. So after three years, if you, uh, and we look at Mark Utley and, um, at Eastern Suns. He, he's now entering yep. into was his third year, and, and they're gonna, that, you know, that was probably one of the teams that I would say would make a crack at a have a crack at a title this yeah. year and that's that's Absolutely. the sort of model that I know Mark and I talk quite a lot we sort of work on you know those five-year plan you know, by year three that's when you're really starting to see the changes that you that you've made and and the fruits of your labor so yeah would have loved to have been there for another three years five years but that's where they sort of felt that they were they wanted to go so um, whether it was their decision that yep five grand finals is enough I don't know that conversation was never had well, it's hard to imagine anyone being able to do any more. But I mean, there's there's plenty more about your journey that we can can continue to discuss, and we've got plenty more episodes here of SBL Shoot Around to to do it on. So we'll we'll keep it there for for this week. But but thanks so much for opening up about about your journey. It's been a remarkable journey, and it's still got plenty plenty to go. You're still only in your in your early forties, so you're potentially only only halfway through this this life. So there's plenty more chapters to be told. Let's just finish up this first episode. What are you looking forward to about being involved in a project like this? What are you looking forward to 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 bringing to our listeners over over the coming coming weeks and months, Ben? For me, it's the love of the game. Um, mm-hmm. You know, whether you, you love me or hate me, I, I love the game and I play the game, and I want to be around the game. And I I really enjoy basketball, and I love talking basketball, and I love the memories that it inspires in me and brings back in me. And and for me, a bit like we've seen in the last dance, and being able to go back and relive those early glory days of the '90s, sort of moving forward. Um, I was fortunate enough to to watch the inaugural SBL season, even though it was you know through the the Southwest Slammers down. I Sour Slammers and um and the Rainbow Coast Raiders down in Albany, um, mm-hmm. but the guys that sort of brought this league from just being the the city metro league to being the state basketball league. So you know the, a lot of those guys that came out in those early nineties forged huge careers out here and were were phenomenal players and uh, have stayed out here and, and contributed to our basketball community so much. And I'd love for those guys to be able to tell their story um, and and inspire these guys that perhaps haven't seen them play. They've only seen their names on on honour rolls or when the old guys get around and start talking about them. I think knowing their stories and where they've come from, that would just be amazing. You know, the, the, the legends of the league that perhaps uh, haven't had a voice for, for 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah, couldn't agree more. Really excited to to get stuck into that and, and that that's aimed to bring one of those one of those past greats to to all of our listeners on our next episode. So we'll we'll put our minds together, come up with a list of guys we wanna 
want to work through and we'll bring one on our very next episode and it's going to be something pretty exciting and we'll make sure we catch up with the current the people currently involved as well and see how they're coping with not having a season in 2020 so there's plenty for us to to obviously continue to dissect even if we're not seeing action on the court each weekend thanks for everyone for joining us make sure you get in touch through one of our social media channels to send a question to ben to give us some feedback or indeed if you want to partner up with us we'll be more than happy to to chat some options with you there so we look forward to hearing from you um as i said at the start i'm chris pike the co-host but the star of this show is ben etridge and that's give him the final words of our first episode of sbl shoot around well anyone that's been coached by me knows that i love lists and i'm looking for lists i want to know this week what's uh everyone's top five basketball movies if i get a bit of time i might watch one and, and do a bit of a review um to give it give it a star rating and, and get a few more people talking about basketball so looking for a list of the top five your top five basketball movies that we can have maybe have a bit of a chat about uh next week as well